We inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to The Core here on American Family Radio Network. Glad to be with you today on the program. My name is Walker Wildman. I'm the host of The Core here on American Family Radio. Our website is AFR.net. AFR.net is our website. You can download the American Family Radio app as well. You can download the AFR app as well. And then we are live streaming the video on our streaming platform, streaming.afa.net. You can go there and log in, or you can create a free account there on our streaming platform. And um, Facebook on AFA at the Course Facebook page is another way to watch the video of the show. Well, we will have some special guests with us. Uh, My brother Wesley will be in second segment, and he asked me uh, earlier, do you want me to tell you what I'm going to talk about? And I said, and he said, or do you want me to surprise you? <laughs> and so I said, surprise me. Um, so we'll we'll see what Wesley has to say. I'm sure it'll be good. I, mean, I think you'll like it. I think so. Yeah. Bobby knows. Bobby's been uh, been uh, scheming with Wesley on uh, what they're going to talk about. Had so, to get some intel. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see Wesley in the second segment. Um, and uh, my iPad just froze up. So uh, in a few minutes, when I there we go. Uh, one of my apps, you know, the the only downside to having the automatic software updates for all of your applications on your devices is you can be using it, and then it all of a sudden decides it wants to do an automatic update. So that's what my iPad just did. But we're back. It only took a few seconds. <laughs> we're going to have our, uh, 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 our, our last guest in the last segment will be Brian Blaze. He's president of Paragon Health Institute. We're going to talk about with him about the Affordable Care Act, some of the clauses within it, uh, we'll also talk about uh, what the end result of the so-called Inflation Re- Reduction Act is going to be. Um, and then there's some grant programs we're going to talk about. So uh, we'll talk with Brian Blaze uh, from Paragon Health Institute in the last segment about some health care policy ongoings. Uh, but before we do all of that, I do want to jump to our scripture for the week. We're in Psalm chapter 35. Psalm chapter 35 is where we are. And uh, on on Monday of this week, I uh, talked about verse 7 here. Verse 7 in Psalm chapter 35, David says, For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. And so this is the basis, if you will, of, of what we know today as um, having probable cause in our legal sphere. Um, but not just in our legal sphere, but also in our moral sphere. In our in our in, in the sphere of uh, having uh, just reasoning to back up our decision making. And in this case, with David in Psalm chapter thirty-five, David is talking about his enemies coming after him. David says that they have no reason to come after me. I've done nothing wrong. 
They have no cause. They are not just in their actions. And so this is this is good to know. This is a good backgrounder. This is excellent knowledge uh, because... If we, if, if we establish that one must have, in order, to, in order to punish someone or to discipline someone, um, you must have cause. You must have just cause. Well, then that brings up the question, well, where do our standards come from? How do we determine what's a just cause? Well, we look at God's Word. God's Word is the standard. It's the capital T truth. And that's where we should get our standard from as well. And so the, uh, the, uh, the term, the legal term today, uh, probable cause or just cause, that is um, not new to America or not, uh, not new to, to the world. It's been around since the dawn of creation and since the, the uh, institution of God's moral law. Uh, on the world, and so David is 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 displaying that he's explaining that using that uh, terminology here in Psalm chapter thirty five. So um, that's our, our our scripture for the week. I do want to move into uh, an article I just wrote yesterday. It's up on our blog site afa.net, right there on the homepage. It's also uh, going to be linked on our podcast page at afr.net, afa at the core podcast page. If you go to today's show, you'll be able to click through to this this article that I wrote. But here's the headline. Why Climate Change Agenda is an Attack on God's Creation. And so I'm going to break this down. I may not get it all this segment. We'll, we'll do our best. In the early 1970s, there were apocalyptic predictions of a looming ice age, a period of extreme cold caused by man-made pollution that could threaten the very existence of humanity. Here's a headline from the Washington Post dated January 11th, 1970. Colder winters held dawn of new ice age. That was the Washington Post headline in 1970. Well, another uh, story corroborating this is I've got this uh, documentary that I pulled an audio from, from 1978. And the documentary is called the Ice Age is Coming. It was a 1978 documentary. So not only did we had the Washington Post in 1970 predicting an apocalyptic ice age <laughs> coming in the 70s and 80s, but we had the documentary, an entire documentary based on this supposed reality. Let's listen to clip five. I think we'd have to think about moving someplace else. Move where? The brutal buffalo winter might become common all over the United States. Climate experts believe the next ice age is on its way. According to recent evidence, it could come sooner than anyone had expected. At weather stations in the far north, temperatures have been dropping for 30 years. Sea coasts long free of summer ice are now blocked year-round. According to some climatologists, within a lifetime, we might be living in the next ice age. According to certain climatologists, within this lifetime, we might be living in the next ice age. <laughs> oh, man, how long do you maintain credibility at this rate? Not long at all. Well, fast forward just a couple of years, 
compared to that documentary. By the early 1980s, global temperatures began to rise and the apocalyptic messaging quickly shifted. Instead of a new ice age, the public was told global warming was to melt the Arctic ice caps and cause sea levels to rise. Coastal cities will be underwater in years. <laughs> well, the environmental activists grew frustrated with having to shift their messaging between global warming and global cooling. Every decade, they were changing. It's global warming. It's global cooling. It's global warming. It's global cooling. Well, the implication all along was that humans were to blame for causing the heating and the cooling. To solve this messaging dilemma, the shift was made to rally around climate change as the consistent term used when discussing the topic of Earth temperatures and other weather-related trends. For environmental activists, well, this was a brilliant strategy, brilliant PR move. Here, here's an example, and I gave this uh, uh, partially last week, but here's an example of climate change messaging being used in opposite scenarios to stoke fear. In a July 29 article this year, 2022, listen to this headline from the New York Times. How is climate change affecting floods? That was the headline from the New York Times. Well, the writer states this, quote, flooding like other disasters involves a number of competing factors that may affect its frequency and intensity in opposing ways. The writer goes on to say that climate change, which is worsening extreme rainfall and many storms, is an increasingly important part of the mix. So climate change is a, quote, increasingly important factor behind flooding, according to the New York Times writer. Well, to the contrary, just a couple weeks later, actually under a week later, another New York Times, this is an opinion piece, dated August 4th, 2022. Well, here's the title for this one. The Coming Crisis Along the Colorado River. This is the one we covered last week. Well, this declares that, quote, overuse and climate change have contributed to its reservoirs drying up. This is in regards to the Colorado River Basin facing a severe dry period. So you see what happened there? When it floods, it's climate change. When it doesn't rain, it's climate change. So the environmentalists, they literally can't lose. Well, moving on, I do have another clip. This is uh, fast-forwarding to the uh, 2000s. And uh, let's listen to this 2022 report about Climate change, global warming, clip six. As we mentioned earlier in the program, there have been several alarming new reports that the climate crisis is getting worse and coming on faster, from intensifying wildfires to methane leaks to rising sea levels. The news is grim. William Brangham is here to walk us through some of the latest. So, hello, William. Let me start with this uh, report from the UN about wildfires it says that we are going to see catastrophic wildfires in the coming decades. Fill out more of the picture for us. That's right, Judy. This is the first time the UN has looked specifically at wildfires. And as you say, they argue that because largely of climate change, catastrophic wildfires will be happening globally and they'll be ramping up in the next few decades. And it's not just places that have become somewhat accustomed to them, like Australia or the United States. It's places that are not accustomed to them, like Siberia and the Arctic and Tibet. The 
UN says climate change is the main driver here. The, this report said <laughs> the heating of the planet is turning landscapes into tinderboxes. We certainly see this here in the U.S. There's this mega drought happening out west that is the worst mega drought we've had since the medieval times. But there's another issue that's driving this that the UN says, and that is the way we use land. Agricultural practices, forestry practices have also exacerbated this so that when a fire does start, it's worse. And this is also, as we know, a huge health issue. Ask anyone that has lived anywhere near a wildfire in the last few years, the sky turns orange, you can't go outside, you can't breathe. We know that smoke is dangerous for human health and that smoke travels hundreds and thousands of miles. So it is a growing, growing issue. Wow. The world is ending. The world is ending. You notice all the apocalyptic language there? Mega drought. So what's the difference between a drought and a mega drought? <laughs> Does somebody want to bring out the precipitation chart and show me at what point we enter a mega drought? I can't wait for the mega drought. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, Bobby. Mega drought. The uh, next thing you know, they'll be blaming, blaming the mega crowd for all the droughts. Oh, wait, they already are. We're driving our <laughs> diesels. We're driving our gas-burning cars. Folks, the reality is is that man is, number one, not to blame for so-called climate change, all right? But furthermore, actually, there is something that man is to blame for. Man is to blame for the wildfires. So we go out to California, and this, the, the, the government there ha has done a horrific job Managing their forest, right? Allowing way too much undergrowth. And when wildfires begin in, in, in California, they go crazy. They spread. You know, there's the old saying, spread like a wildfire. They spread like a wildfire. And they're hard to control. <clears throat> but that has little, if anything, to do with climate change. It has everything to do with humans not properly stewarding the creation that we have been given dominion over. Genesis, go read it for yourself. So this is another example where the left creates a problem and then they blame you and me for the problem. It's a Democratic Party 101 politics. AFA at the core. We'll be back in just a few minutes. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The book of Proverbs is one that flows with abundant insight for wisdom. It shows that one of the most prominent qualities of wise people is that they welcome and even celebrate life-giving correction. In today's world, overrun by cultural Marxism, there is much discussion as to what segments of our society hate themselves. Well, Proverbs gives the answer. He who rejects life-giving correction despises himself. The truest demonstration of self-hatred is revealed by knuckleheads who refuse to humble themselves and embrace life-giving correction. Loving rebuke saves lives. Correction displays love. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. 
This is Raising God the Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. Fall is here, and that means your girl is gearing up for a new season of changes. Have you noticed how many seasons come this time of year? There's school startup, soccer season, American Heritage Girls startup season, flu season. Oh, that's not a fun one. Have you ever contemplate leading your girl to embrace every new season as one burgeoning with the potential to see God in each? Ecclesiastes 3 is the A Time for Everything chapter in the Bible. Since God is intentional about, well, precisely everything, guide your girl to rightly see the good in every season. Whether it be a chance to learn responsibility and a new routine, to learn a new skill, or to minister to a new friend, every season has its perfect place in your girl's life. We are all called to raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. Learn more about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. Hello? Hey, stranger. Oh, hi. Thank goodness it's you. I was afraid to answer the phone. Why? What's up? The credit card companies are after me. They want me to make payments and the calls never stop. Ouch. Been there before, but I got help from Trinity Debt Management. Trinity? Yeah. I called and right away, Trinity contacted my creditors and got my interest rates cut in half. They ended all the late fees and over-limit charges, and they stopped those annoying phone calls. Bet that was a relief. Yep. Then they put me on a plan that consolidated my bills and to one easy monthly payment. That way, I paid off my debt fast while saving thousands. Nice. Trinity even showed me how to plan and meet a monthly budget. So now I'm debt-free for keeps. Wow. Do you still have their number? Sure. Here, write this down and call 1-800-788-1813. Can you repeat that? 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Of glory divine, air of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story. This is my song. Welcome back to the core here on American Family Radio. This is uh, Walker Wildman, and this is Worship Wednesday as well. And that was Blessed Assurance uh, that you just heard there. The uh, little background here, now that that rendition or that that uh, that version, if you will, um, uh, 
it actually didn't have a didn't have a uh, an artist attached to it, but um, the original though the original author of that hymn, Blessed Assurance, was Fanny J. Crosby. Fanny J. Crosby, uh, she wrote uh, Blessed Assurance, and this goes back to eighteen hundreds. Goes back to eighteen seventy three. Uh, the song or the hymn "Blessed Assurance," and it's still around today in many churches, being sung uh, today in many many churches. Nearly 150 years later. Well, I do have Wesley in studio with me. Wesley, glad hey, you made it. Hey, I'm glad to be on today. Thank you for having me. Just a just another week, right? Just another Wednesday. Another week. Well, that's one way to describe <laughs> it. You know. <laughs> oh, I guess I was looking around. You know, we've had so many. Um, Big victories lately, you know, with the Supreme Court ruling, and we've discussed a lot of victories lately. This week, we don't have any uh, major victories or major losses either, do we? Well, I, I, I feel like you you have something you need to tell us. No. no. If, if that's the case, then. <laughs> no. No. You know, I just, uh, to, you know, I guess I've been in a little bit of a bubble this week. I've been at my desk. My primary job is to build relationships with our financial <laughs> supporters, so. Well, uh, I've been in my little bubble this week, and I haven't been a part of just a whole lot. So, tell you what, though, we did a, a conference call with our supporters last night, and it went really well. We covered a couple things that we've been doing here at AFA. I do have a story I want to get to, yeah. but before I do, just to let y'all know, we have um, uh, we have a lot of plans from AFA action standpoint to be involved in the midterm elections. And so we have a great goal to get 3 million uh, Christian conservative voters registered and to vote, and we are on track to do that. So we're, we've got a lot of plans there, and you can go to afa.net or go to afaaction.net or go to ivoterguy.com. What's probably the – what's out of the three, if they could only remember one, what's the best Afaaction.net. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's the homepage. You can get everywhere from there. Yep, yep. All right, so uh, – that's I your do. victory for the week. Yeah, that's your victory Three right there. Three registered Christian That's the goal. That's yeah. the goal. We're on track to get that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we're on track. We're, we're monitoring that closely. And Rob Chambers over at AFA Action and his team and uh, Debbie Wuthnoff with I Voter Guy, they're doing a great job there. So uh, so is it – I feel like I feel like you're just – y'all are looking at me like it's my time. Is it my time? Well, it's your time. Yeah. You, Good to go. I, I thought you had something when you were okay. asking about has anything happened this week. You thought I was setting something up. Yeah, I nah. thought you were like luring me in to no. some, something that you had. No, no, but I do got a story for us. So I was okay, looking. and if you need some content, I've got some stories I would like you to give <laughs> feedback on too. Okay, good. Well, let me let me go first since I since I uh, have a story for us. The story for us today that I, or that I came across this morning is in Fairfax County, which that's been in the news lately, uh, Fairfax County, Virginia, that is. Their public schools still require face masks, and they're pushing a back, pushing back against the governor's order. There, of course, there was a flip there, and we got governor. We, meaning the conservative Christians, got governor. Even though we don't live in Virginia, we have recently gotten Governor Glenn Youngkin, Glenn Youngkin, who is a, uh, from what all I understand and see, that he's a Christian conservative, in the heart of the beast there in Fairfax County, and he had recently released a uh, executive order that allowed uh, parents and, and everyone else to make a decision for themselves whether they do or don't want to wear a mask, whether they do or not want to participate in 
the COVID conspiracy at this point. That you know, <laughs> so he released that executive order, and I'll, I'll I like to read what he says, and then I'll read a little bit, and then I'll share a little bit about my thoughts on the, uh, what to do about these schools. There's several schools in that area that are pushing back. They're that are mandating and require and and highly recommending that they continue out on with the mask mandate. But he said this. He said, there's no greater priority than the health and welfare of welfare of our Virginia children. Under Virginia law, parents do not, under, under Virginia law, parents do not the government have the fundamental right to make decisions concerning the care of their children. And Walker, how much, how important is that for us to understand? Because if you go to read the language from the opposing team here in Virginia, that are required, that are recommending and suggesting and voting for the mask mandates, they say that they're doing it for the health of the student mm. and so that they can get back to in-house education by lowering the spread, by requiring shots and masks and mandates and all these things in order to do the very thing that Yunkin's trying to do. The point I'm making here is that Yunkin's telling the truth and the other people are not. Yeah. And it's important for us to understand that ultimately, regardless of anything, it is the parents' right to decide the health um the health concerns of their children. And so Yeah, it, and there there's two there's two th- there's two areas you can go here and I and I recommend both. Number one, the the science behind yep. masking is very flimsy. Yep. It's very faulty, it's it's very sandy. Um there there's really not any uh, consensus amongst the medical community that wearing masks, that healthy people wearing masks 24-7 is good. There's actually data that says it's bad for you. Right. Um, that's the first thing. You, you just build up so much dirty bacteria around your mouth, um, and, and dentists are calling this um, a mask, uh, mask mouth where these people are coming in with very issues in their mouth because sure. they've been wearing masks all day. Um, another, another aspect is if if Fairfax County won't end the mask mandate now... Pub, the public schools. Yeah, for public, hey, yes. for public schools in 2022. <laughs> then when will you? Because if COVID's ever not been a problem, it's now. Mm. All right? And so, um, you know, the, 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 they, they would probably say, we're, we're going to do this in, until Jesus comes back. Yeah, yeah, because... Right here in quotation, it says here our lay- our layered prevention strategies have proven effective. Is what they're what the, what the school communities are saying. The, yeah. the school boards are saying effective in keeping transmission rates low. But the, but the problem is they haven't eliminated it. No, Still they exists. haven't. They haven't. And there, there's no evidence that them using masks even helps at all. No, not at all. But this is this is all Wesley. This is all about control. Yeah. I mean that's what this is about. Yep. I mean at some point we have to say to ourselves. At what point is it not the government's responsibility? Yep. 100%. Because because on this and, and other things, the government assumes responsibility and yep. authority where it doesn't have it. Absolutely. And that's what I loved about Yunkin. I'm going to get into the Fairfax County's comments and a couple of the CDC uh, uh, thoughts as well. But before I do, just want to remind us, to your point, that's where I love Yunkin's uh, comment in his executive order where he states the fundamental right to make decisions concerning the children lies with the parents yes, and not the government. You know, CDC continues to relax their guideline policies, their COVID guideline policies, while these uh, public schools continue to increase 
the some the ones I'm pointing to specifically are Fairfax County and the surrounding counties. There are several schools that are increasing their COVID mandates, which goes back to the point, the obvious point here. If for so long it was follow the science, first of all, we understand that the CDC does not provide good science anyways, but they were referenced as CDC was referenced for a long time and still by many people as good science. Well, when they were saying things that fit their tyrannical agenda, yeah. they were perfectly okay with that. And now CDC has they're 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 following suit with the general public who are not going to follow all the mandates and they're saying, "Well, we got a few things wrong. We're making some adjustments." And these schools are saying, "No, we want more mass mandates." So they're totally uh the the sources that they use for so long, CDC being the primary one to to encourage these guidelines now are the ones that are against them, and they're still following their clinical rules. Um, so, you know, Walker, when it comes down to it, to your point that you made, that's the thing here. That it becomes obvious. You have to ask yourself, what is this about for these schools that are forcing these mandates because they don't have CDC on their side anymore? So it's obvious it's about coercion and power and, and forcing uh, others to do – and also – taking the parental rights away from the parents and that just transitions into what they teach them too right right it's it's, it's, it's if the government if the government can convince itself and convince the public that it is primarily responsible mm-hmm. for preventing you and me from getting an upper respiratory illness that's right if that if that is under their purview then they they there is no limit to what they can do right there is no limit to what government can meddle around in if they can regulate behavior based on an upper respiratory illness there is no limit now you know if you continue to if you continue to look at this too the instructions cdc's instructions for people that have all their boosters and all their shots and everything it always follows up with there being no different how they would respond if they did you know what I mean? Right. That, I mean, they, they, there's well, a, yeah. At this there's, point, there's no, there's no, there's no scientific or medical difference between vax and unvaxed. No, because the people who get the shots are also getting sick. Right, and, and also giving COVID to people. Right, and if you're in, mo- if you're in a red state, uh, for the most part, the 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 way I understand it, you're not having to deal or or, or put up with a lot of this stuff, like I just read. But yeah. in these blue states, and especially <laughs> in these dark blue cities, they're still fighting against this COVID uh, tyrannical overreach, and so. The bottom line that I that I have on this topic is that is one to refuse to participate in stupidity. Yes, you just refuse to participate in tyrannical overreach. Uh, also, you need to understand what the difference between a mandate and a law is, or a man, or, or a recommendation and a guideline and a law. Yeah. Um, because that's one thing that uh, we could talk about this topic for hours, but that's one thing early on, back two years ago when this started, that so many good intention people were saying well you know it's a law it's a rule that kind of deal but there's a significant difference between a past law that had that's held up by a government official uh, or a police that can enforce and something that they are highly court now can now you know you can get into certain well, to yeah. your point though the cdc doesn't make law that's the point the yeah. cdc puts out guidelines yeah. or guidance but yes. to your point some people Take what the CDC says as the gospel. Fault, right. This is the truth. Sure. This is the law, mm. and we will do this. Right, exactly. So we have to be careful of that. So push back against this type of garbage, and you know, we, you know, sometimes it may come time where you just find a, a red state because I know that there, we. That's one thing that's not as discussed as to the degree that it's happening, and that's that there are Christian conservatives 
and just Republicans in general that are moving away from blue states to red states and uh, even more so than we've ever seen in the past. So. Yeah, and with the shots, um, this is one of the biggest – it should be one of the biggest scandals of our lifetime, and <laughs> that is the government paying billions for shots that don't work. Mm-hmm. Oh, but Walker, they do work. Oh, but no, they don't. They don't work how they're supposed to, all right? right? And that's if they work at all. Right. So so the talking point now is, well, they prevent severe illness and death. Well, okay, that that's still being debated. Yes, um, it and, is. And y'all botched the clinical trial, so we really don't know. <laughs> um, but vaccines are supposed to prevent illness altogether, sure. right? That's the historical longstanding acceptance of what the definition of a vaccine is, but through our tax dollars, the federal government issued tens of billions of dollars in monies to these pharmaceutical companies yes. for a product that fundamentally doesn't serve its primary purpose. Mm-hmm. I mean, can we we can't do that with anything else. That's not acceptable to say, well, we're, the government's going to buy these cars, but the cars aren't going to drive. Right. And then somehow we pitch this into, well, the cars can be used for a good seating place. Well, no, that's not the primary purpose. Duty of a vehicle, it's yes. to move. Yes. Uh, so with the shots, I mean, we we wasted billions of taxpayer dollars on these things. Yeah, we did, and now they're sitting there. And that's why they're trying to find creative ways to get people. I, I was listening to uh, just a uh, a, tre- a a radio station this morning. It was it was a non Christian radio station, and they had an advertisement on there this morning that said now available for COVID shots now available for six months and older. You know, for the longest, yeah. you know, they kept low. They, you know, for the longest, it was like, look, you have to be a certain age, certain age where they keep lowering the they age. They also, they also have been giving out like gift cards and stuff. Oh yeah, if you get the shot. Yeah, yeah, the shot that Anything, only like, any any medical treatment that you have to bribe people to take, take. Yes. is that is not a good marketing sign. <laughs> that is not. No, it's not. Not only is it not a good marketing site, it's not something that I want to participate in for sure. No. Yeah. No, either it helps you or it doesn't. Does it? Yeah, and it should be. And your the decision. Pr- and the proof's in the pudding, right? You know, I mean, we, you know, that first that first month, that first two months, you know, there was a lot of question marks. A lot there of was no data, no data. We have almost three years of data now. Yeah. So, uh, and you, we cannot trust the CDC. Yes, to say the least. Exactly. So true that. Thanks, Wesley. Hey, thanks for having me on. Appreciate Enjoyed you it coming on. There you have it, folks. Let's end the COVID sanity. And uh, if not now, then when? (laughs) If not now, then when? Folks, we can't live in fear. All right, we can't live in fear. We can't cover up our faces and our mouths that God created us to utilize, that God created us to visibly see. And we got to move on. We got to move on. We can't escape the things of this world. AFA at the core. Be back in a few. So they asked me to enter my email address, and the next thing I know, I start getting emails from companies I never even knew existed. What's up with that? Here at the American Family Association, you have our word that we won't give away, sell, or lease your email address to any other organization or company. We're thankful when you take the time to subscribe to AFA Action Alerts, One Million Moms, Engage Magazine, or any of our other online newsletters. What does the American Family Association stand for? We believe that our ministry, as well as everything in the heavens and on earth, belongs to God. And our role is that of a trusted manager. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. 
We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. In churches, and a lot of churches today, the issue of identity is sort of like the big elephant in the room. It's in the news, but it's not in the church. So if it's in society, it needs to be something the churches are addressing. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality, is now available for church screenings and events. Every person in America needs to see this. And all pastors need to show this to the church, get the people informed. If the church and Jesus isn't the answer, where's the world going? We want the message of the film to touch as many hearts and lives as possible. And we'd love to join with you to bring the film to your community. So let's say you have a small group or your church, or we've even been bringing the film into some prisons. We want to partner with you. So what we'll do is we'll send you a special kit and it's completely free and it'll just have some extra resources to help you promote your event. To find out more about how to host an event, go to inhisimage.movie and click on the host an event tab. That's inhisimage.movie. William E. Sangster was a great British preacher of the first half of the 20th century. When he visited America, someone asked him what impressed him most. He said, America seemed to have more of everything than any other nation. More cars, more appliances, more of everything. In fact, Sangster said, I've noticed that you also have more books on how to be happy than anybody else. What was he saying? Well, the same thing the Bible says, that happiness is not to be found in the abundance of our possessions or even our books about happiness. We only need one book to discover true happiness. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's ways to be happy on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the core here on American Family Radio. Glad to have you with us today on the program. I'm your host, Walker Wildman. If you want to watch the show, you can go to streaming.afa.net, streaming.afa.net. Go ahead and create an account there if you don't have one. If you do, great. Go ahead and log in. You can watch the show live. Uh, you'll see the show featured right there on the homepage. We are live streaming on Facebook, too, or as well. You can watch it on Facebook by going to AFA at the Core show page. I do want to introduce our next guest. We do have with us um, Brian Blaze. He's president of Paragon Health Institute. Uh, Brian, welcome to AFA at the Core. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. Well, Brian, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and the entity you're, you preside over, Paragon Health Institute, and then we'll jump into some of the topics on the Affordable Care Act. Sure. Thanks. Um, so I launched a new health policy think tank, Paragon Health Institute, a little less than a year ago. And I've spent the better part of 12 years working on health policy. Um, I worked in the House of Representatives, uh, the U.S. Senate, and then the first two and a half years of the Trump administration, I served at the National Economic Council in the White House. Uh, they, uh, uh, Brian, rather, uh, the Affordable Care Act, it's its a jumbled mess, and, and you know that firsthand, probably dealing with this, as far as 
the original law that was passed, and then the bureaucrats came in and started rewriting the law, which is actually illegal, and that was a whole lawsuit. Um, but what is the status of the Affordable Care Act? So the Affordable Care Act, um, if you think about it, it's got um, three main aspects. It's got significant uh, regulation. It uh, put a whole bunch of requirements on health insurance uh, that were sort of unprecedented uh, coming from Washington. Uh, had major new spending programs. Uh, the biggest one was a huge expansion of the Medicaid program. Uh, and then there was a variety of taxes um, and uh, spending reductions in Medicare to pay for all of the new spending. Um, in terms of like the, the status now, the Medicaid expansion is really the biggest part of Obamacare. Uh, there were sort of uh, the goal of Obamacare was to create a very robust individual market for health insurance. This is where people go that don't get coverage through their employer. Uh, that have middle, middle, upper, middle income, and that has largely failed. Uh, the regulations pushed up the price of insurance, pushed up the deductibles. Um, net, networks are very narrow, meaning that uh, plans don't cover a lot of hospitals and doctors. Uh, so those those plans haven't been very attractive. Uh, but the Medicaid expansion has proven pretty robust. Um, about 38 states have expanded their Medicaid program. It's really a welfare program. So really, Obamacare at its heart has just been a huge expansion of the welfare state, um, putting a lot of lower income uh, families into the uh, Medicaid program. Uh, as far as the uh, the spending uh, uh, side, it's this year, the uh, spending in Obamacare is, going, is projected to total more than $200 billion. Uh, there were significant increases in subsidies that were enacted uh, in the Biden stimulus, um, the, the American Rescue Plan Act that he signed at the beginning of his uh, of his administration, and so there has been some increase in um, the individual market size, but that's mostly because of government subsidies. On average, um, uh, the government, the taxpayers, are paying about eighty five percent of the premium for someone who's enrolled in the exchanges. Uh, the Trump administration made some progress rolling back uh, problematic aspects of Obamacare. So the individual mandate penalty, that was um, the fine on people that didn't purchase Washington-approved insurance, that was zeroed out, uh, and the Trump administration opened up some options outside of Obamacare that were more affordable uh, for people. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, the, uh, uh, most of the main infrastructure remains in place. I, I will say one more thing. Many of the taxes have been repealed. So at the time, uh, President Obama said he wouldn't sign uh, legislation that would raise uh, federal deficits. I mean, that is another broken promise with Obamacare. Uh, they've, uh, the, the new spending is not paid for, and Obamacare is significantly increasing uh, federal deficits. Well, Brian, let me ask you this. Um, it sounds like the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare is very much alive, very much still around. Um what, I mean, should government really be meddling around in private health insurance? I mean, this is really about health insurance more than health care, because there's a, there's a difference between the two. I mean, what, what role constitutionally does the federal government have meddling around in health insurance? I mean, where can I find this in the Constitution? Please let me know, Brian. 
Uh, well, I, I think you make a really good point. Uh, health insurance is different than health care, uh, and health care is different than health. What we really want is a healthier American population. Um, and even before the pandemic, um, life expectancy in the U.S. was lower in 2019 than it was in 2013. So we had a huge expansion of government health insurance, um, lots of new rules, spending, taxes, and Americans got less healthy. Um, so not only is there there's constitutional uh, concerns, and um, uh, I agree with you there, there's also significant policy concerns where their their programs don't work. Um, and, you know, in, in healthcare, we don't have a free market in healthcare. Um, uh, and that's, that's one of the things that I, I really try to point out because a lot of the problems in our health sector are driven by government, by bad regulations, by a bureaucracy that thinks that it can manage the health sector, and by a set of subsidies that um, that really result in enormous amounts of waste um, and, uh, and and misspending. The uh, many people will remember this, but the the iconic thumbs down from John McCain, the late senator from Arizona. Um, the, the Republicans for years uh, ran on repeal and replace. Remember, uh, that was the campaign slogan, even though some argued, do we really need to replace this thing with another bad bill? But nonetheless, that was the, the overarching promise from all the Republicans, including the late Senator John McCain, that we will repeal Obamacare and we will replace it. But when it came to the vote, Brian, they didn't pass. It didn't pass. So what? What's the what's the holdup amongst what what was the holdup amongst Republicans with fixing uh, or getting rid of the uh, ACA or the Obamacare? So Obamacare's core provisions took effect in 2014, and you had uh, many states, uh, including some with Republican governors, expand their Medicaid programs. Mm. Um, and uh, you also had people uh, uh, really make uh, a lot of hay out of uh, uh, if you repealed Obamacare, you would hurt people with pre-existing conditions and they could go back to being denied coverage. Um, I think there were policy solutions um, to those problems and that you could have uh, constructed a, um, a much freer market health insurance system that also protected people um, who had extensive medical conditions. Um, uh, but it was just very difficult for Republicans to navigate the narrow margins that mm. they had in 2017 to come up with a, uh, a repeal and replace. And really it was improperly named. Um, I, I, I certainly thought that large parts of the law sh- should be repealed. Um, but, uh, it was more sort of a modification of Obamacare and the party, um, uh, just wasn't wasn't unified. There were some. I mean, this is a this is a very long. Uh, I can give you. I can talk to you about this for uh, for, for 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 days. I mean, I, I lived this um, in 2017. But there were also just some problems with the process. The Congressional Budget Office um, produced very biased scores of mm-hmm. what the legislate of what repealing the individual mandate was going to do. Um, they attributed sort of this mythical power to the individual mandate, um, compelling people to buy coverage who otherwise wouldn't. And it just wasn't going to be it, it, it just it caused the estimates 
of Republican uh, replacements to show that a lot more people lose coverage than what actually happened. Hmm. Fascinating. Well, uh, Brian, we were all disappointed, I think, when when John McCain issued that thumbs down and really, uh, you know, stop, stop the process. The Trump administration did what we could. Yeah. So we were really focused on expanding options for individuals and for small businesses um, that were harmed by uh, by the law. But there's a lot that Congress um, still needs to do to address structural inefficiencies with Obamacare. Yeah, no, the Trump administration, I mean, kudos to the to the Trump administration. And, and I know you worked there for a time. Um, the administration did. They fought tooth and nail. They did everything that they could um, to help the American people. And a lot of the stuff they did, even regulatory wise and uh, through the, the rulemaking and the bureaucracy, ended up uh, – uh, providing some relief to Americans. Well, uh, Brian, thanks so much for coming on the core, bringing some insight to the healthcare issues of our day, the health insurance, rather, issues of the day. I uh, appreciate you coming on the core. Thank you, Walker. Appreciate it. All right. That's uh, Brian Blaze. He's president of Paragon Health Institute. Uh, Brian Blaze is his name. Pretty fascinating stuff there. Pretty fascinating stuff. But, you know, it, it's, it's just a uh, it's so such a stark difference when you look at where we are today versus where we were in 1776 or even where we were, I don't know, mid-1800s. The federal government has just ballooned into this behemoth of a machine that you start looking at and you go, you know, how on earth do we bring this thing back under control? of the American people. How do we rein this in? And uh, there's just all these assumptions out there that we, we just assume, because maybe this is how it's been since we've been alive, we just assume that the government is responsible for all these different things. But you look back at our founding fathers and what they said government is, is, is should be used for, what they intended government to be used for, you look at God's word and what he intended government to be used for as an institution created by God. The, I mean, uh, probably it's safe to say over half of the things government does, if not more, are things that they shouldn't even be doing. They shouldn't even be doing. Like, why is the government meddling around in health insurance? Why is the government meddling around in health insurance? Why is the government meddling around in the energy industry, why are they putting their thumb on the scale of the energy industry, energy industry? And they're, they're rewarding one sector or one part of the energy industry. If you're solar, if you're wind, well, you get subsidies. You get grants. You get tax cuts. You get tax breaks. But if somehow you produce energy via fossil fuels, well, then you're going to get punished. We're going to come down hard on you. We're going to punish you. We're going to tax you. We're going to fine you. You shouldn't be able to do this. And so government just starts stepping into areas where they really have no legal jurisdiction. I'm talking legal constitutional jurisdiction. And then you, you got the welfare state. And this goes back decades. But you've got this, this welfare state, this monstrous welfare state where everybody assumes that it's the government's job to get people out of bad situations. It's the government's job to bail people out of certain situations. Speaking of that, we've got this uh, student loan uh, news today about how the Biden administration announces 
debt cancellation or forgiveness is another word you can use for it for certain individuals. And it really highlights the incestuous relationship between the federal government and our universities. And for those who don't know, there are these things called federally backed student loans. These federally backed student loans is what the majority of college students utilize to pay for their school. And the bar, the threshold to get a federally backed student loan through universities is very low. All right. You don't you don't have to have a good credit score. You don't have to have a lot of assets. You can just get it. I mean, if, you, if you're breathing, you can get this student loan. Pro, I promise you. I've seen it happen. And so, so the federal government basically provides or fosters these and backs these student loans. Well, the universities, well, they're government institutions, uh, the, the public universities. They're government. They're state institutions. And they, th- there's no accountability here. It's this incestuous relationship, and when I say that, what I mean is the universities can charge whatever they want for tuition, and the, the, federal, the federally backed student loan programs, well, they're going to pay it. Absolutely, they're going to pay it. And so the, these students go to universities. They, they, they may have no way to pay this money back. There's no guarantee that they're going to be able to pay this money back. But they, they sign these agreements and they take out 20, 30, 40, 50, 100,000 bucks with no plan to pay it back. The university takes the money, right? Why would they turn it down? And the federal government backs it. They say, oh, yeah, if something goes wrong, we'll pay it. And then, then Biden comes along and says, you know what, guys, just don't pay your bills. <laughs> just don't pay your debt. We will take care of it for you. And what is we will take care of it for you equal? It means you and me that didn't get any student loans out, we're going to foot the bill for the folks who wanted to get debt, get in debt to pay for their school. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.